There was a time when I shared Mary Oliver's poem, The Journey, with every one of my clients or patients or fellow travelers who came to see me. The people who would enter my life seeking something that both they and I would call therapy. The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began, though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voice behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. In practicing this talking cure, we often need to discover or rediscover what those two words might mean for both of us. What does it really mean to talk, to talk in a way that is connective and consoling and hopefully somewhat consequential? And what does it mean to be cured or at the very least to have a new handle on our suffering? Just as no two therapists are alike, equally no two people seeking therapy. To talk of what therapy is, or what it's fundamentally about, is always in some way to reduce it to a static definition. Therapy, like all the good stuff in life, peace, love, sex, awe and wonder, cannot be reduced to a simple definition. So I'm not even going to try to do that here. Even after many years working in this field, I still don't really know what to call the beings, the patients, the clients who have played and continue to play such a significant part in my life. In the episodes to follow, I will refer to them and myself as souls, for there is little poetry to be found in the term patient or client, and poetry, in the broader sense of that word, is ultimately what I live for. The term soul, however, brings with it an Old English as well as distinctly poetic resonance to the conversation. It arrives in our vocabulary from the Old English word soul, meaning the spiritual and emotional part of a human animal, our conscious animate existence, our life force or living being. In an Anglo-Saxon poem of the 10th century, Soul and Body, the soul chides its lifeless body, its sibling, as it calls it, after the two of them have been pulled asunder by death. The charge against the body is that it, quote, paid no heed to what lay ahead, when following through with its, quote, fiery lusts, fearen lustus in the Old English, especially with regard to food, drink, and self-importance or pride. Rather than seeking communion with God, which is to say with the essence of life, 
presence and being. Our souls often get trapped in the agendas of the mud ball, as this 10th century anonymous poet refers to his body, this, quote, skin bag, which dictates for us in its hunt for pleasure and avoidance of pain so many of our thoughts, actions, and strivings. At one level, this is just another example of Christian eschatology, larded with threats of punishment and damnation for our sins. But metaphorically, it also highlights, a thousand years after its composition, our somewhat conflicted everyday experience of existing as the creatures we are, with all our metaphysical as well as physical needs and desires thrumming in our hearts and guts and loins. These are the so-called human aspects of us, expressed through language and thought. The animal side of the equation, our animate sensory bodies, the ways in which they function and what they get up to, seem, at least in our post-Cartesian minds, to follow a somewhat separate agenda. Nowhere else is this discord more on display than when we consider our addictions. In some shape or form, most of us are addicted to something. To salt, to sugar, to carbs, as well as to other foodstuffs. To certain kinds of drink, including tea, coffee, cola, and all the usual alcoholic suspects. Also, tobacco, vaped or burned, prescription drugs, as well as non-prescription drugs. We can become addicted to porn, to love, to sex, to work, exercise, gambling, video games, to YouTube and Netflix and Amazon Prime. For some years in my mid-40s, I became dependent on, or addicted, if you prefer that terminology, to cannabis, a substance I still use, but in a very different way to my previous consumption of it. Maybe you too are dependent on or addicted to cannabis in some way if you are listening to this, or maybe you're addicted to something or someone else. We are all addicted to something. If not cannabis, it's probably quite likely that one of your primary ongoing addictions is to your phone, or rather to the attention-grabbing and manipulating apps we use on these devices. We are also, most of us, addicted to thinking and worrying about our lives and the ways in which we live them, addicted to the self as it manifests through personality or ego. In fact, we can become addicted to almost anything in the manner described by this old English poem through its use of the word devotion. We are all devoted, for better or worse, to something or to someone. More generally, I would say, we are all devoted or addicted to the fulfillment of our desires as well as to the non-fulfillment of pain, that emotional or physical discomfort we consciously experience and want to get away from when it arises. Why is this? Why are we such addictive creatures and what can be done for us? What does it mean not only to mend our lives, as Mary Oliver appeals to herself, an impulse that brings us to therapy or perhaps some kind of spiritual or creative practice, but also to save her life by undertaking a special kind of journey? 
And what is this journey that every human animal, every body-soul entity is perhaps required to take, especially when besieged, as we often are, by the mind and the body's cravings, as well as by the various habitual behaviours wherein we displace or lose that primary connection to our life force, to our souls, and in so doing, suffer terribly. In the reflections ahead, I would like to talk about the journey I went on with this fascinating plant called cannabis and how it and my relationship to it became for me a kind of existential riddle or koan requiring a solution that would take me a couple of years to decode and untangle, but would also reveal in so doing aspects of my own soul that I don't think I had much access to before I set out to solve this particular mind-body problem of being human. Thank you for listening to this first episode of Cannabis Koan. My name's Steve Wasserman. My website is stevewasserman.co.uk. Drop me a line if you'd like to, and especially if you have an interesting connection to cannabis and might want to talk about it with me for the podcast. It's coming on Christmas, they're cutting down trees, they're putting up reindeer and singing songs of joy and peace. Oh, I wish I had a river I could skate away. pretty green I'm gonna make a lot of money then I'm gonna quit this crazy scene I wish I had a river I could skate away on I wish I had a river so long I would teach my feet to Teach my feet to